How are y'all doing? Welcome back to the Revenue Clinic. I am your host, Tristan Sutton, marketing strategist. And every Thursday at 12 p.m., we bring you resources to help cure your revenue ailments. So this week, we have a friend of mine and a special guest, Ms. LaMonica Love, business attorney as well as business consultant. So what does all that mean? Basically, she keeps you out of trouble. <laughs> she helps you CYA, and she also helps you structure your business in a way that's more, you get the most profit out of it and also protect your assets. So uh, we're going to bring her in right now. Thank you for Ms. Uh, being here, Miss Love. Thank you for coming back because I know you've been on one of my shows before, right? I have been. Have been. So <laughs> it's good to be back. Thank you for having me, Tristan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do exactly. So I'm LaMonica Love. I am a business attorney. I support entrepreneurs. I support small businesses and medium-sized businesses. And what that means is I primarily, I um, can do, I think I'm a one-stop shop for businesses, right? Um, I can help you if you want to start your business, making sure that you have all the legal protections and um, everything that you need to start your business. So I have a, a small business startup package. Okay. And uh, in that small business startup package, it's gonna involve an entity formation, any uh, formation agreements or documents that you might have. Uh, I'll serve as your registered agent. Just making sure that for those first couple of years, you feel secure in um, doing business on your own paper. That's one thing I like to tell people is get your, your own, own paper. paper. Get your own paper. And so getting your own paper means getting your own legal agreement. Uh, for my more sophisticated advanced clients, mm -hmm. I provide a general counsel legal services to them. And so what that means is that I spend the time getting to know your business. I review all of your documents. And from there, I can uh, basically look at any agreement that you're doing. I can help negotiate agreements and deals on your behalf. Uh, some of my clients, I've helped them with mergers and acquisitions. So uh, anything that has to do with a contract or a transactional yeah. document, I, I, I got you. So <laughs> I can help you out with that. So I don't know if y'all can see the little trademark logo over here, but she's the reason I got that for the Revenue Clinic podcast. She helped me uh, trademark this uh, brand of one of my several brands. So and we're going to work on a few others, right? <laughs> yeah, we are. And then they've all come out successful. So Amen. Thank you. Appreciate that's one that. thing we want to put out there. So let's get started. So tell me. Why do all business owners need a business attorney? On a previous episode I had with um, Sunitra Heard, uh, we talked about having a team. You need your attorney, your CPA, your banker, and your insurance agent. So why do they need the attorney? And Sunitra's absolutely right. Sunitra's amazing, by she the is. way. <laughs> but um, you need a business attorney because uh, you just need to protect your business. So many times people uh, or clients will come to me when deals have gone bad or when they're trying to get out of an agreement or when um, someone has not paid them and they want to say, I, I, I need you to enforce this. And let's say that if it's a $8,000 agreement, mm. well, by the time you go to court, you do everything that you need to do to enforce that. Um, you may or may not be successful or unsuccessful. Mm. How much money have you really saved on the back end? Right. So you want to have uh, the agreement to show individuals how to treat you, to show individuals how you are conducting business. Set the standard. It absolutely sets the standard. And what I like to tell people is that it's sort of like a marriage, you mm -hmm. know? You want to go ahead and get all the bad stuff out, talk about all the things of how you would handle things when we're all happy, you yeah, know? When we're right. planning the wedding, everyone's cool happy, <laughs> we're great, uh, you know, we don't have all those bills that we have. And so that's what I, I like to do is you just want to make sure that you protect yourself 
protect your business. Uh, stepping out and opening your own business is, is such a huge feat. We have uh, no idea. <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, you know, people see the fancy stuff, but they don't know the the yeah. many nights. The you become the custodian, right. you become the painter. Yeah. You know, you do what you have to do in those beginning phases, and so you just want to make sure that your contracts aren't something that you have to worry about. So that is um, absolutely why you need a business attorney. Absolutely, absolutely. So you mentioned startup that process, starting a business. When people are in that startup phase, what should they be doing right now with their business attorney? What do you recommend for them? Like, let's say three things. So the first thing that I would say is you want to make sure that you form a business entity and you're mm -hmm. protected. Um, a lot of people like to just function with the DBA, mm -hmm. and I don't think that that is something that's good to do. Yeah. Um, even a lot of individuals, even, you know, like hairstylists, they, they have a business. They're offering a service. So you still want to make sure that you're protected because if not, you are exposing your personal assets. Absolutely. So if I'm LaMonica Love doing business as, then it's still LaMonica Love. So LaMonica Love's home, LaMonica Love's bank account, all of those things can be um, subject to uh, you being to, to liability. And yeah. so if, some, if a creditor or uh, someone who's angry at you is going after you, right. all of those things are considered assets. Free game. So what she means by business entity, you know, you have DBA doing business as, then you also have limited liability company, LLC, S Corp, C Corp, um, things of that nature. So when forming your business, make sure you set it up right because it protects your assets. But what's really going to help you as a business owner is some of them have uh, preferential tax treatment. Yes. So with the LLC, I think you get double taxation, S Corp, C Corp. There's different uh, ways you get taxed. I know you can't make a definitive recommendation, but look into LLC versus S Corp and things like that because there's different ways that you can have some legit tax savings. That, that's correct. And I think it also depends on the, the goals of your business. Right. Do you want to bring in investors? Do you have a partner? Right. Um, if you are an individual, you know, most of the time it's going to be an LLC because you want to become a disregarded entity. And so what that means is that if you become a disregarded entity, that allows you to just file your taxes with your personal taxes as an LLC. Right. So. Um, you just want to be sure that you talk about what the long-term structure and goals are of your business, and that would determine the type of business entity that you would set up. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so great information. Okay, that was one. We had two more things that we'll talk about for startups and things like that. What do you recommend? What else do you recommend? Um, one thing that you want to, uh, another thing that I recommend is ensuring that you have a good business address. So a lot of people, um, you know, when it's time to start their business, they don't take the registered agent very seriously okay. or um, they'll move to one place. A lot of times when you're a startup business, you start in one place, you move to another place. Mm -hmm. So that's something that's minute. But I think, you know, if you can get a registered agent service or get an attorney to service your registered agent, you mm -hmm. definitely want to do that. When I am looking to serve somebody in a lawsuit or looking to <laughs> locate uh, someone, uh, that's where I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve their registered agent. Of course, I'm going to look to see where the owners actually are. But um, 
that that's where you want to do is to have a good um, registered agent. The last thing that I would say is we talked earlier about getting getting your own paper. And the two most important things I would say is if you are going into business with somebody, make sure that you have a very good company agreement. Mm. And the company agreement actually talks about how someone is supposed to sell the business. What happens if you want to bring someone else right. into the business? What happens if your partner gets terminally ill or unfortunately passes away? Uh, talk about those things and find out. A lot of times if someone gets divorced, you want to ensure that you're not doing business with their wife mm -hmm. or that their wife doesn't or husband does not own the business. So your company agreement would uh, address that. Um, if you are an individual that's doing business on your own, I would say the most important contract or agreement that you want to have is the agreement that you do business on. So for instance, Tristan, you have a consulting business. And so uh, the agreements that your clients sign every single day, it's how you make your money. It's how you tell individuals the services that they're going to receive. Uh, you set deadlines for when things are going to be due. Uh, you also wanna have some clauses that give you some flexibility just in case you don't meet those deadlines. <laughs> And uh, a lot of contracts do not have those things in there. They don't talk about how what what's cause for termination. So we know if we want to get out of the agreement. But a lot of times, um, business owners will come to me and say, "Well, they stole money. Yeah. This is you know um, they took money, or they are going around saying these things about the business, or." you know, is that a cause for termination? Right. And, you know, the first thing I say is let's look at your company yeah, agreement. <laughs> what types of things do you say are um, causes for termination? So those are, um, that's exactly uh, the most important things mm -hmm. that business owners would okay. need. Great information, great information. Let's take a question from the audience, Ms. Uh, Shamir Norris. Can she speak about nonprofit filings? Yes, I can. So I can speak specifically about nonprofit filings here in the state of Texas. So if you set up a nonprofit corporation here in the state of Texas, which that is what it would be, it uh, would be a, a nonprofit corporation, you are not um, necessarily granted 501c3 status. Mm. So those are two separate things, steps that you would have to take. The first step is that you would become a nonprofit corporation within the state of Texas, but the Secretary of State then requires you, if you are a 501c3, to send that information over. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing you want to be sure that you do when you set up your nonprofit corporation is you want to ensure that you have language that um, expressly details that you'll be functioning within the goals of what the IRS states is a nonprofit corporation. Mm -hmm. And so that's that language that's gonna say for educational, scientific, charitable, or religious purposes. So depending on what type of organization, nonprofit corporation you are setting up, you just wanna be sure that you are um, putting that information into your filing and then going on to the IRS's website, you can file a 1023 or a 1023 easy if you uh, expect to make less than $50,000 per year. Uh, and you file that online. I think it's on like pay.gov. But you want to be sure that you are um, handling them separate because if you don't, you still can have tax liability. You yeah. don't automatically yeah. get that exemption from the state. You don't want um, that uncle knocking at the door. No, you don't. <laughs> uncle Sam knocking at the door. 
Great information. Thank you for that uh, question, Shamir. Shamir does all the graphic designs that you see as well, so check her out. Go ahead and post your, your website, Shamir. So we talked about uh, partnerships. Uh, let's talk about what's the difference between a joint venture and a partnership and how they should be set up if differently. Okay, so once you decide to go into business with someone, you can kind of have an informal or a formal partnership. Okay. Uh, there's different levels to a partnership. There can be general partnerships and also limited partnerships. Okay. The way that it would work with a general partner is that um, a general partner is going to more so have more of the liability. A limited partner is usually putting up money or some mm -hmm. type of resources but they don't have any say so in the day to day. Mm -hmm. So um, making everyday business decisions, yeah. um, deciding where something is going to go, how a decision is going to be made. That's going to be a decision that's left to the general partners mm -hmm. where the decisions that are made by the limited partners is that they just um, get the money. Okay. They don't necessarily um, also take in the losses of the business. Now you can lose your investment or the resources that you put up, but as a limited partner, um, it would be very detailed. You would specifically say what the limited partner is getting into and what their role is. Uh, a joint venture is, you know, oftentimes people can really, not confuse, but I think um, they, they are very closely related. Gotcha. My recommendation if you decide to enter into a joint venture with someone is to number one, make sure that you have your own LLC and they also mm -hmm. have an LLC. Gotcha. Uh, I don't recommend entering into a partnership or a joint venture uh, in your individual capacity. And the reason for that is that um, you don't have the protections with a partnership or with a joint venture that you would have with an LLC. And so you want to just be sure that you provide that separate level of protection by entering into those agreements um, in a legal entity capacity and not in your individual capacity. Gotcha. So let's give an example for the audience. So let's say you and I were to partner. Hey, I got the marketing down, you got the legal side down. Let's go after small startup businesses and maybe offering packages. Mm -hmm. uh, what would you recommend for that would that be more of a joint venture play or a partnership play? So I think that the joint ventures are, let's say, for instance, when you're competing for RFPs, we see that mm -hmm. a lot. You okay. know, when you're going for federal federal contracts, uh, Metro, the city of Houston, um, a lot of those. Uh, when you're competing for those types of federal um, RFPs, you'll form a joint venture with someone because the request for proposals are going to lay out lots of different things that you need um, to get the proposal. They're going to maybe say, let's take, for instance, if you have a cement company and someone else has a landscaping company and someone else has um, a, a tree planting company. We are all our own separate businesses, but we're competing to do um, maintenance, to do these things at the airport when you're going in and actually doing the entire landscaping for the airports. These are hundred of that hundred thousand dollar contracts. They're very lucrative contracts, and it's also very difficult for an individual business, especially a startup business, to handle all of those things on their own. Uh, to be competitive in getting these contracts you want to form a joint venture. So the joint venture will say something like, uh, the agreement will say, we are setting this joint venture up for the purposes of competing for RFP 526 with you know, the Houston Municipal Airport System. Um, 
this company will provide this service, this company will provide these services. And then you also wanna go and lay out what happens if someone does not um, actually, like how are how is everyone going to get paid? How's the breakdown of that going to go? Um, who's responsible for picking up the slack if a company is not able to actually um, meet deadlines? So let's say for instance, if the landscaper is not able to do their portion while well, all of the other individuals in the joint venture we have to go and find another company or we have to pick up the work you just want to make sure that you anticipate all of those types of scenarios um, because the airports they're not going to care individually who does what or who did you know who did not fulfill their portion so you just want to make sure that your agreement um, dictates and specifies all of those things. And that's why it's important to have it in a corporation or LLC or some type of business entity, not your individual, because if that airport comes and sues you, they're suing the company, not taking your home and your car, things like that. So good, good information, good information. We have a question from the audience, Ms. Chase Sloan. How is a trust different from a business entity like LLC and et cetera? So are if I'm reading your question correctly, if you're saying that if someone is is functioning out of a trust, usually a trust happens, um, let's say that it's a living revocable trust. So a living revocable trust means that when I'm alive, I'm going to take some of my assets, whether it be homes, whether it be money or bank accounts, and instead of them being owned by me, I'm going to establish a trust. And so when you establish a trust, a trust actually um, has an EIN number and you have to fund the trust. So when you are funding your trust, you're taking all of these things out of your own name or out of your business name and you're putting them in the name of the trust. Gotcha. Um, when you are using them in the trust, the trust will have, ta you know, has taxes. The trust is managed that way. Um, it can be a very good vehicle. I also think that it can sometimes be restrictive if you don't have um, large assets. In my opinion, I think that a trust is, is, is a good resource for individuals with lots of assets. Um, it separates your tax liability. Um, I don't think that it's something that you want to do if you're not up in that millionaire gotcha. stage. Yet. Gotcha. So, so for, for the startups, it may not be just what they need. Yeah. So thank you for that question, Chase. So let's talk about some of the most common mistakes you've seen as a consultant and attorney for small businesses. And we know about not forming an entity, not getting the paperwork. What are some other things that entrepreneurs can avoid um, to help them stay out of court or in you know, lawsuits and things like that? I think not being honest with your attorney or your accountant. Um, that is the biggest thing that um, I feel is a barrier to really protecting my clients, uh, drafting agreements, drafting settlement agreements with them. Um, most of the times, a lot of things get resolved outside of court. And um, if we're going to draft a settlement agreement, um, if you've hired me to negotiate with another attorney, I want to have all the information. Uh, what will usually happen is that sometimes these agree uh, these agreements fall apart. Yeah. Uh, one party is not fulfilling their uh, obligations, and something will come up, and it's something that I didn't even hear about in the very beginning. So it makes it very difficult for me to 
really defend you or to come up with a solution because maybe we didn't um, draft an agreement or uh, um, even try to go to, to protect you from those things. So I like that. Keep it 100. You have to keep it 100 with me if you want me to protect your business, you know, totally. And um, that is the biggest thing that I think um, hurts businesses is, is not um, telling or being completely honest with your attorney. Wow. Also, um, of course, we could talk about commingling of assets. Ooh, let's um, talk about that. So what does that mean for those that don't know? <laughs> so commingling of assets is um, absolutely um, using your personal expenses and your business expenses mm -hmm. and intermingling them together. So not having a business bank account, okay. um, using things on your business credit card that you shouldn't be doing or, you know, and then wanting to uh, get reimbursed for those or take the business deduction for, for those things. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it just sets a really good um, habit to not commingle your assets and to keep your business and your personal separate. Gotcha. And a good way to do that is to just pay yourself uh, every Friday or every um, two weeks. Pay yourself, give yourself a, a transfer, give yourself a, a, a salary, yeah. and that's a good way to kind of keep track of your expenses. Now, for some folks, that's easier said than done, you know. But eventually, you do have to put yourself yes. on payroll. We're not talking about, okay, you got money in a bank account, just slide some from the business to the personal. Actually pay yourself a salary, pay taxes on it, because eventually you need to get to, I guess, what you call legit or be a business owner, not a business owner. <laughs> <laughs> so get to that point where um, you're actually legitimizing your payroll to yourself. Yes, and a good business accountant can help you do that. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's several good accountants that have so many different strategies that they can um, assist you with. And so sometimes when we think of an accountant, we think that it's going to be a huge expense. Well, if you have something like, hi, Sherelle. <laughs> if you have something like um, Qu QuickBooks, you know, yeah. even if you pay your taxes through a certain, you can do QuickBooks and this allows you to just go in on a monthly basis. I know I like to do that on a monthly basis. I'm going in and categorizing all of my business expenses, yeah. primarily for me, because I'm very, I'm a stickler for how I'm spending my expenses. Uh, also making sure that um, I and see how much money I have coming in on a monthly basis, Absolutely. that I'm meeting my own business and income goals. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I like QuickBooks and um, I know a lot of accountants use that as well. Yeah, gotta know where your cash flow is. So you can use QuickBooks, Quicken. Also, if you're at that level, you can hire a um, CPA or a bookkeeper. Mm -hmm. So they'll have access to all your accounts, manage everything, categorize everything for you, and send you a report like, hey, this is where your money's going, this is where your expenses are, things like that. And they do all the reporting of your taxes for you as well. So that'd be something to look into. If we got any CPAs, tag yourself in the um, comments below or put your website in there. So. Let's get back to contracts, though. When, what are some red flags from reviewing contracts between like partnerships, uh, ventures, or even doing business with other entities and just contracts in general? What are some things that we should be looking for that makes say, hey, maybe I need to get an attorney to review this for me? Uh, you know, I think the biggest things that you want to look for are, are the termination clause. Mm -hmm. um, what does it take? We talked a little bit about that, too, to get out of the agreement. Uh, the separate thing that I would talk about is um, the payment schedule, if there's a payment schedule. 
so many times um, individuals will have an agreement and it's you know a fifty thousand dollar contract i see this also a lot with real estate builders and so it's sort of like lay out specifically when someone deserves to get paid and what right do you have to withhold payment you know yes. so okay. if um if you don't meet if you don't meet a certain deadline, is there a cure period? And mm -hmm. so when I say a cure period, uh, you know, usually that's going to be called a notice to cure default or an opportunity to actually make it right. That's what a cure period is. How do I have a period to make it right? If I haven't been functioning or I did not perform a service or deliver goods within the standard that you want, what opportunity do I have to make it right? And so I think that having a cure period is great. Um, if you're in a business where you have employees, maybe you're training someone, maybe they did something incorrectly, yeah. and um, you just want the opportunity to, to make it right before mm -hmm. a lawsuit is filed. So. I think that that is um, a big thing. Um, also, an arbitration or mediation clause is also really good. Amen to that. So tell, um, tell them why that's important. You want an arbitration or a mediation clause because it allows you to kind of settle things outside of court. It's also a much cheaper option than a lawsuit. Um, a lot of times I'm talking to my clients and they're like, well, how much does it cost to file a lawsuit? And the filing fees are not that expensive. I think the filing fees are only like $300. But then once you talk about serving everyone, um, you talk about discovery. Mm. Uh, discovery means that what do I need to make sure that the jury or the judge can actually find out that what we're saying is supported? Yeah. Um, so discovery, um, request request for production, where we're basically saying to them, you have to produce these documents to help us understand how our case is stronger. And so that adds up. And I will tell you that you're not going to find a lawyer uh, a good lawyer in the city of Houston <laughs> that's going to work on a flat fee for a lawsuit. It's going to be hourly. And so wow. usually if you are in negotiations or you've had an agreement that has um, fell apart from yeah. a client that ended up being um, difficult to work with, know that they're probably also going to be difficult for your attorney to work with as well. And that's mm -hmm. when those legal fees are going to go up. So you want to yeah. make sure that you put things in place to show people how to treat you and show mm -hmm. people how they should pay you. So that's something that's important as well. Gotcha. So I don't know if you calculated all that. That's why I kind of sat back. Like <laughs> I heard at least 30 hours, at least worth the work right there. And I don't really know too many attorneys that are less than a hundred dollars an hour in Houston that are good. <laughs> That's so cheap. That's, that's cheap. A <laughs> hundred an hour is cheap. And we're talking about 30 hours. That's before you even step into the courtroom. So we got a full, a whole trial trial that we have to talk about. So make sure you do everything to CYA, protect yourself so you can avoid that. Arbitration and mediation are uh, more financially feasible ways <laughs> to uh, handle things that if you have disputes um, legally with their partner or business entity. So thank you for that information. Thank you for that are you also an arbitrator and mediator as well? I am not. You're, not? Okay. No. You're missing those coins. <laughs> I'm missing my sleep. <laughs> uh, pretty much every um, agreement she's had set up for me uh, with my clients, it has something in there called says the first, uh, I guess, uh, phase is mediation first before we can even go to uh, court if someone has a dispute. So that's always good to know and keeping your uh, clauses as well. So let's talk about we talked about startups, but now let's say the, the business is, you know, a, a grown up now, you know, it's ready to grow, take it to the next level. 
what should a business at that point be looking to do? They've got their, their entity and everything. Now, how do we level up? So the first thing you want to do to level up is to look at your existing contracts. And so one thing that I like to do with my clients is to talk about challenges that they've had during the year, because sometimes there are things that you didn't anticipate. There are services that maybe you didn't anticipate that you would provide. And so your agreements don't address that. And so one thing that I like to do is that, um, you know, in the middle of us negotiating these contracts, have we really gone back to your templates? Have we gone back to your kind of contract, um, you know, diary or all the things that you're in made sure that we've addressed all of those things. Gotcha. So you want to ensure that once you become more of a sophisticated business owner, <laughs> that you are um, really looking over your agreements to make sure that they reflect um, where you are now and also where you want to be. So when my clients come to me, I don't say, you know, I, I do like to get a, um, summary or kind of an, an update on the business, the type of services that they provide or gotcha. what their business is. But I also say to them, where do you want to be in 10 years? What type of service do you want to perform? And so um, the thing that's good about that is that it also allows your contract to become um, a sales piece, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're talking about future services that you offer, right. if you have a contract and it's sophisticated, it looks really advanced, it's going to force those clients to really look at you as a real player. Mm -hmm. And it's also going to start their mind thinking about, okay, maybe we can't afford this service right now, mm -hmm. but if this is something that you offer in the future, then this is something that we could possibly do later. Mm -hmm. So you just want to ensure that you're sort of anticipating things, even if it's not something that you're working with, uh, with that client right now. Um, one type of agreement that's really good for that is something that's called a master service agreement and so uh, a master services agreement is really for uh, those types of clients that you're doing lots of business with and so maybe you are providing multiple services to them or maybe you um, are doing business with them in January through March and then you don't come and do something else with them again until December well what a master services agreement does is that you have your main agreement that really lays out it's going to be you know that six page to ten page or depending on um, how big your business is maybe even longer but it's going to cover a lot of the things that we talked about termination clauses arbitration all of those things but you're also going to have a scope of services and so that's going to be an attachment. So it's sort of like attachment A or exhibit A, yeah. but in a contract, it's going to be called scope of services. And so that's going to lay out the specific service that you're providing just for that particular um, time period. So um, even I, I know that when you're talking about uh, the things that you're doing, um, for instance, uh, someone who provides several trademarks designs for you. Yeah. So you would have a master services agreement with that person and every single time they provide a specific trademark, you would list the cost of that service, mm. the timeline that you have. Gosh. And so then when you come right, you get ready to do another agreement with them or another trademark, all you're doing is just doing another scope of services. You don't have to send them that 12 page agreement every single time. Gotcha. So it kind of just adds on to it. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. 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 So I know this is what a lot of people have been waiting to hear. Let's talk about copyrights, trademarks, and patents. Which one should I be using? What's the difference? When I, should I know the file? I know it's an investment. Let's let's talk about all of it. So where would you like to begin with it? 
So I'll start with patents because I'm not a patent attorney. Okay. Well, so I maybe have like three things to say about patents, but I've learned a lot. I actually worked in a business dissolution with someone regarding uh, a patent. And so I was able to learn a lot more about um, patents than I knew before. And I also have a, some really good patent attorneys for you guys if, if you need some referrals on those. But a patent is um, basically if you have a design mm -hmm. or um, even sometimes I think I believe a recipe uh, or a, a type of composition is something that can be used for a patent. One thing that I did learn is that you want to be very careful about putting your patent or your um, designs into the public domain. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I think is so important, especially with um, in the age of social media. Yeah. What I've seen is that when people have really good ideas, they get really excited about yeah. it. They want to share it with people. They yeah. want to let people know. They want to post about it on their blog. Right. And um, when you are in, you know, a lot of people understand this, especially who are working in research with the university, mm -hmm. they have an entire intellectual property department. Mm -hmm. And so they're just making sure that um, you are still able to uh, protect that idea and it is something that can um, secure a patent uh, if it is public. And there's a specific term, I think, that if anyone is a patent attorney or does patents, if you want to put chime it on in. there, you can <laughs> chime in. But um, when you put something out into the public, mm -hmm. if you have your schematics is what they use. So your schematics is going to be your design or um, what shows, you know, how something works, or they also have something called claims. So a claim is what you are saying your invention actually does. You just want to be very careful about putting that out into um, the public domain um, so that individuals can see it, because I believe that when it's out or when so much information is out, when a patent examiner is hired, if they can find all of that information, um, that is something that can cause you not to be able to secure a patent. Uh, I did. I was talking to a patent attorney the other day, and I found out there is a, a case in the Supreme Court that has something to do with that that may affect that. So I'm going to put an asterisk by that statement because it might be changing depending on what the Supreme <laughs> Court says. But that is just something that you want to think about. Okay. Well, good. Um, so real quick though, why is it when I see people on Shark Tank? They always ask, do you have a patent? They don't say, do you have a trademark, copyright? Why is it they always go to the patent? So you, they want to know if you have a patent because if you're on Shark Tank, you're talking about this idea. Yeah. I believe when you have a patent, um, someone cannot use that specific idea for 10 years maybe oh, or wow. a certain amount of years. Okay. Now, they can pivot and sort of change the idea so mm -hmm. that it may be offers like a one-up, maybe it's like uh, version 7.0 and gotcha. yours is version 5.0. Gotcha. And so it has something different that works with it. But the specific technology that you um, have there is yeah. going to be, uh, once you have a patent that is protected yeah. and um, you can actually enforce people from using that specific idea. That cease and desist is real. Because <laughs> I've always wondered, like, you know, Yeti was like one of the first companies with like the, the, the keep it cold or warm cup. All of a sudden you saw a whole bunch of other brands. I was like, 
what happened to the patent? <laughs> so it's sort of, I mean, you see that even with like Polaroids or, you yeah. know, that was a huge deal when other companies started to come out. You know, when you have other companies, it just depends on if they're pivoting mm -hmm. and they're offering something. Maybe they're saying that the steel is a little different in the, that would be an interesting yeah. uh, case study to kind of see what happened with Yeti. And, and maybe Yeti's been out much longer than we think, you know, maybe the patent was filed five years ago and it's just mm -hmm. actually coming to the market within uh, these five years. And so we're seeing okay. it, you know, it, every overnight success is something that's been years and years in, in progress. So sometimes <laughs> something that's new to us isn't yeah. new to um, their their work and their yeah. legal teams. Gotcha, gotcha. So let's talk about, uh, actually we got a question from the audience, Lisa Petaway. So how do you protect yourself when pitching ideas to companies? Okay. Great question, Lisa. So, you know, I think that you have to be very careful about that. A lot of times um, you may want to have your own NDA. Uh, some companies, and, and there's a difference between pitching to companies and pitching to potential uh, investors. That's also something that I'll talk about in um, discuss. A lot of times with startups, people are pitching to investors mm -hmm. and it's, so what do you want to have to make sure that this investor doesn't hear your idea right. and then take it? You want to make sure you have a non-disclosure agreement and that it's extremely detailed. Uh, also, your non-disclosure needs to have like non-solicitation clauses in there. You mm -hmm. don't want one of uh, the investors to get your top scientists or chemists and bring them over to their company and to start working with them. So a non-disclosure agreement with non-solicitation and a non-compete is also really good. Wow. And the more specific this agreement is, the more protection you're going to have. So what happens a lot of times is that people are going online and they're printing out the very standard non-solicitation or non-disclosure agreements and they're extremely broad. They don't protect you for a set period of time. They don't protect you for a geographic period, uh, a geographic region, and they don't um, protect you uh, provide protection for a specific um, idea. So you just want to make sure, you know, the Supreme Court and even in Texas, you have more protection with a uh, non-compete based on uh, time period, based on location, and also based on the specificity of, of that. So just make sure that your agreement um, provides protection for things specifically and not, you know, any idea that you've ever had gotcha. um, when, when you're working on that. Great question, Lisa. So translation, don't just try to Google it. Don't even spend those coins on an attorney to get a, a for real, for real <laughs> NDA, non-disclosure agreement, uh, non-compete, and uh, what was the last one? Non-solicitation. Non-solicitation. Because when you go out there and pitch your ideas for funding, She's like says, if you don't have those uh, that paperwork in place, they can just say, oh, that's a great idea. Let me go take it back to my team and let's get started on this. So um, great, great question. Let's talk about trademarks versus copyrights because it all, sometimes feels the same. What's the difference? They, they are very different, right? You know, a trademark is actually a formal process that you would have to take with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Okay. And so there are two ways that you can secure your trademark. And I get this question so much, you know, um, people say, I have an idea and um, this is what I, I want to do. Um, with my trademark. And so I'll say, well, what have you done so far? 
Um, do you have a logo? Do you have a website? Um, and they'll say, no, but you know, I have this idea in my head and this is what, what I want to do. And so I'll say, well, what is your plan to actually bring um, this service or this good to light? Do you have a business plan? Do you know how far in advance you actually want to develop that? So there's two ways that you can file a trademark. The first one that you can do is you can file an intent to use application. And so with an intent to use application, that basically means that the owner um, has a trademark. Uh, they intend to use it uh, within six months. They want to actually get it out into the market um, or into commerce is what it's called. Um, and so if you have an idea and you're working on it, you're, you know, behind the scenes getting things, but you just want to, you know that once this gets out to anyone that's going to explode, you want to file an intent to use application. And so with the intent to use application, I believe you have six months to actually um, go back in and show how you're using that in commerce. And if you're not using it just as of yet, you can file an extension. Um, the USPTO can either choose to grant it or not. Usually they do grant it. So that's a, a, a good thing. But um, you have to just be able to demonstrate that you are using it in commerce. So what are some examples of using it in commerce? That would be a website, um, a, a brochures that business you're actually card. giving out, business cards, uh, any of those things that can show that you are using it. And I also want to touch on the goods and services component because a lot of times people don't understand that when you are filing your idea, you have to file within a specific class. And so the class actually shows how you are using things. And so I think I saw a question that was down there that talked about um, your a t-shirt line. Yeah, so let's pull that one up. If someone is developing a t-shirt line, at what point would you suggest they engage a trademark attorney or should they just file for a trademark registration themselves? So, you know, I'm a trademark attorney. I'm going to say you should always engage a trademark attorney because, <laughs> no bias. No uh, bias. you know, my, all my trademarks are get approved. And if it's not a good mark, they're going to tell you uh, from the beginning. They're going to say this is not a good mark. It won't get approved for these reasons, or this is how we should pivot to ensure that it does get approved. But I get a lot of clients that come to me and they talk about starting a t-shirt, you know, starting a t-shirt line or starting a mug line. And I want to be very specific about if you are claiming um, t-shirts or claiming that you're doing it. Uh, I like to say that the type of things that you can trademark for a t-shirt are not necessarily the slogan on the front. It's mm -hmm. going to be like the tag on the back. So Hanes, yeah. um, lots of people, people wear Hanes all over. Um, Hanes t-shirts, Hanes undershirts, but you never see a Hanes logo on the front of the shirt. It's the owner of the line. It's the tag. So let's say that um, if you wanted to do something like be good, you know, I like Beyonce, so I'll, I'll talk about that. Um, so be good. That's her, that's her, her, her brand that she does for her nonprofit. Know that if she has a trademark on that, the trademark is not for a t-shirt line. The trademark is for the services that she's providing, which are nonprofit services that assist individuals, um, in, um, Philanthropy, you know, a, a, a philanthropy purpose. Maybe she's giving back, or maybe she's serving women or serving children. So that would be what her trademark would be for. The trademark would not 
be specifically for shirts. The trademark would be for the service that she is providing. So um, if you are starting a, a trademark for your shirt, just make sure that um, the t-shirt line is actually um, what would be on the tag. Who is designing the shirt? Who's the owner of the, of the shirts? Um, is this the name of your website because you own this? Um, you just want to make sure that you're doing that and not attempting to trademark the slogans that are on the front of the shirt. Hmm. Great information, great information. So a lot of people are like, okay, I want to trademark my stuff. I want to protect it, but I know it costs a little bit of money. What do you recommend for them since they, you say they need to come see an attorney? What are their options? I think it all so depends on the resources and the money that you actually put into bringing the idea to fruition. Okay. You know, I have a lot of clients that trademarks because they've had an idea and then they just don't follow through with the steps to actually bring the idea to fruition. The first thing I want to say is keep your circle tight and your ideas to yourself. Um, that's the first <laughs> thing. Uh, people get so excited, as you should be, when you have a new idea. Um, but they, you can be your own worst enemy sometimes. You know, if you um, are exposing your ideas, you're telling everyone what you're doing, you're really opening yeah. yourself up to um, infringement just from that. Um, so keep your ideas to yourself and do the work. Yeah. You know, uh, I think one thing that Myra Shaw says is that the work is not skippable. You mm -hmm. know, that's one of the things that she says. And yeah, I agree with that <laughs> is that you want to make sure that you're doing the work to bring your idea to fruition. And so if you came to my office and told me that you wanted to get a trademark, that would be the conversation that I would have with you mm -hmm. because I can't um, do a good trademark application in support of you if I don't have uh, information that's showing that you're actually doing the work. Gotcha. In in commerce. So what about a copyright? What's a copyright? So, you know, copyrights are, you don't necessarily have to file with the USPTO to, to have yeah. a copyright immediately. We all have our websites at the bottom of our website. Yeah. We have copyright 2016 yeah. or 2016 and 2018. Yeah. Um, as a creative, as an artist, you know, when you put something out um, into the universe, you, you have a copyright sort of on it. Really? A lot yeah. of times people want to get that extra protection when they are producing something um, in bulk. Let's say, for instance, if you were an artist and you have a painting, but now you're actually going to start producing prints of that painting and not just that specific painting, you're now producing prints. That would be something that you would want to move forward on. But um, I was actually speaking with Tristan earlier about the Creative Commons guideline, which is really become something that is standard for most creatives to use. Uh, with um, establishing what type of copyright you want. And so if you guys want to go and Google that, I think that's a, a wonderful site. And I think it's creativecommons.org or .com. But this is basically sort of a um, roadmap or uh, symbols that shows individuals that are finding your work, uh, finding your brochures, finding your PowerPoints, finding things that you decide to do that you put out into the universe, telling people how they should use it. It, it gives them an instruction through symbols of what your intent is. And so let's say, for instance, if you 
Uh, during Hurricane Harvey, I think we saw a lot of this. We had so many people that were compiling community resources. Um, a lot of them were individuals with lots of knowledge, um, lots of contacts. And so they spent their free time getting community resources and basically telling people this is how you can get help if you need things. Well, we also know that there are people that made a lot of money from Harvey with using that same information yeah, from going in and giving workshops, they got government grants. And so if you are the person that initially did this through your contacts, through your resources, you would use the Creative Commons guidelines to post something at the bottom that would basically say, this is copyrighted and it's something that is for general use, but it's not something that is to be used commercially for anyone to make money on. So anyone can reproduce this. Uh, if the United Way needs to use it, if your church needs to use it, if they want to post it, uh, I provided this so that you can actually use it uh, with knowledge making sure that you attribute it yeah. back to me as the source of it. Give them the credit. Yeah. Yes, that you give them the credit. And so if you um, are someone that does create those types of things, please check out uh, the Creative Commons website. That'll give you a lot of really good information on how to ensure that the work that you're doing um, is copyrighted and you're given those, uh, the, the attribution and the, the protections that you need. So for those just tuning in, the main difference between the trademark and the copyright, what is that? So the main difference between the trademark and the copyright is actually what you are protecting, right? Okay. So a copyright is going to be more so like a, a, a piece of art, a work that you've produced, gotcha. and a trademark is for a good or a service. Good or service. So good or service, trademark. Copyright, think artistic. <laughs> that a good way to put it? Artistic or literary value. Artistic so literary. when we talk about books as well, yeah. brochures, art, those types of things. Because so many people are writing books right now. So if you have a good idea that you're putting out there, trying to get self-published or whatnot, make sure you talk to an attorney about copyright because it's easy to go into one of those online websites, and we'll name the name, and spend three, four hundred dollars. But what happens is if you don't class it right, yes. um, you know, all of those other little intricate things that an attorney went to school for, <laughs> um, you can lose that copyright, lose that trademark and still have someone use your intellectual property and you can't do anything about it because you may have clicked the wrong box. So it's, it's you get what you pay for in life. You know, and I've, I've, I will say with those services, I've had two um, I've had clients that fall into two categories, either one, uh, they've hired one of those services and they've actually filled out everything, mm -hmm. but they did not file the trademark. So they sent you something and it was actually just your trademark application, but you have to file have to file it yourself, which filing a paper application is much more expensive than filing online. So that's an issue. And then the second thing is that they'll file your application, but they will not serve as your attorney of record. And so you want an attorney of record because when the USPTO has questions about things, usually it's going to be something like a disclaimer that they have a question about, or they're going to have questions about, they're going to want more uh, information. They're going to want more uh, specimen that actually demonstrate the type of good or service that you want to trademark. And so um, oftentimes that's when people come to me because they've gotten this huge packet, gotcha. they've gotten something from the USPTO and they don't know how to use the website. They're confused about how to respond. And so that's when, um, so you want to just get it right from the beginning. Yeah. Um, if you get everything right, then you won't get an inquiry from the USPTO. So. There you have it. 
So you can spend that $400 on the website, get lost, and have to go spend money with her on top of that. You could just went to her or someone else like her, by yes. the way. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. So we're coming up uh, on, at the end of time. Let's talk about three things you see successful business owners doing consistently as a business attorney and consultant. I would say the three things that I see business owners doing successfully is um, asking a lot of questions. You know, my clients that are very successful, they are asking lots of questions. Um, when we're going through clauses, they actually read the agreements that I send mm, to them okay. and, um, and they want to understand them. Uh, they're wanting to know which are the clauses that they should not, they should, they shouldn't ever touch. Yeah. Um, and so that is thing, be an inquisitive business owner. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can help you in any um, area of your business, oh, not just with your attorney. It's going to help you to understand your competition. It's going to help you to understand your clients better. And so you just want to be sure that you're an inquisitive business owner. And everyone likes to um, feel like someone is interested in what they're offering or what they have. So that's also really good for you from a marketing point of view. Um, the second thing that I would say is that they are clients that are, are really successful are also signing agreements, you know, sometimes, um, you know, I'll have a client and I'll say, well, how did you guys decide to move forward on this? And they said, well, we had our old agreement and we were just going to move forward. So there's no agreement. Um, something is written down on a, a sheet of paper, you know, I've had so many clients that, and I want to, uh, this is something that I want to really discourage people on going out and um, investing in real estate. We have a lot of people that are going out and investing in real estate. They're giving $15,000, $20,000 to their friends that are flippers and they don't have an agreement or they don't have a promissory note. So I would say that is something that you definitely want to ensure that you have some security okay. when you decide to invest on that. If the interest rate looks too good to be true, it probably is. Um, you're probably not going to get like a 25 or 30% return on something. Um, big, from investing in. And if they are saying you're going to give that, you better make sure your promissory note gives you some type of security uh, so that you are protected or a lien on something. Yeah. So uh, just make sure that you have really good agreements that um, protect you. And then the third thing I would say is that they hire a business attorney. You know, they, they are the attorney, the clients that I have that are very successful. Um, they're calling me, they're talking through yeah. things. Sometimes, you know, and depending on where they are or how much money they want to spend, maybe they're calling and talking to me for 15 minutes about something and then they're drafting their own agreements and having me review that agreement. But they are, they do understand that um, being a successful business owner is more than just getting the money in. Um, if a client paid me $25,000, $30,000, even as someone on the receiving end of the profit, I would want to make sure that I completely understand how to support that client. Absolutely. So having a business agreement isn't um, just something that's going, you know, for your client. It's actually also really good for you because it's going to show you how you should interact um, with that client, how to ensure that you're getting their business again, um, how to ensure that they're actually happy with your services. So that is uh, something that I think would be um, 
a huge thing. Appreciate that, Cedric. <laughs> so if you're just tuning in, we have Ms. LaMonica Love here, uh, who is a business attorney and consultant, talking about trademarking, copywriting, patents, how to protect your business agreements, partnerships, and joint ventures. So if you missed the, the, the first part of it, go ahead and watch the replay at Tristan Sutton uh, Facebook page. But thank you for taking time to share this with the business owners of the world that are watching this and are going to be watching the replay. Um, I always like to ask my guests one thing, um, catch them off guard, let them know a little bit more about you. What's a unique fact about you that nobody probably would know? Hmm. <laughs> that is a hard question. So, you know, I'm not going to say that it's something that I hope my family isn't like typing stuff at the bottom. Oh, okay. I hope they're not. Um, oh, Tristan, that is a hard question. I know, right? But you got to ask it. Keep it real for the folks. <laughs> so let them know that you like Sonics better than Whataburger or something like that. Oh, I don't. I love Whataburger. Oh, I can tell you something. Okay. So. Really, I like Popeyes. Uh oh. And I love Popeyes so much that, you know, sometimes when I'm sitting in traffic, I'll eat it and my kids get in the car and they'll see the bag and they get upset that I did not go to Popeyes with them and that I ate it alone by myself. But um, I like to eat pop my Popeyes in peace. And that's something that I just like. I really like Popeyes and champagne together. That wow. is wonderful. That so, is unique. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so more than burger, more than Sonic, I like Popeyes. So. Okay. Popeyes spicy. and champagne. Popeyes spicy chicken. She likes to eat her two-piece in peace. <laughs> I heard my parents that would come home and eat their food in the driveway and hide the bag. <laughs> Watch the family suffer. So that's yes. a great unique fact. All right. So um, Miss LaMonica Love can be found at LaMonicaLove.com. So if you have any um, business attorney needs, uh, contracts, trademarks, agreements, things like that. If you want her to review documents for you, she will tell you about her process for that. Um, she does a lot of good work in the community. Um, you want to tell a little bit about what you're doing in the community as well? Anything coming up? Oh, yeah. So next year, I'm, I'm actually president-elect of the Association of Women Attorneys. And so next year, I'll be president. And so really excited about the things <laughs> that we're doing to expand our membership and make sure that uh, women attorneys here in the city feel supported yeah. and um, also have outlets for mentors and mentees. And so a great organization. If there's any attorneys who are watching, check out our website, awahouston.org. Um, what else? I also do work with uh, United Way. Mm -hmm. um, United Way Thrive is an amazing, amazing, amazing um initiative that the United Way does. You can call 211. They're basically making sure that anybody in Houston can get a job and sustain themselves uh, at an income or with uh, a lifestyle that is uh, above the poverty line. So if you're a professional and you're looking for a way to get out and volunteer, the United Way is amazing. Awesome. 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 Thank you all for tuning in. Um, if you want to learn more about how to cure your revenue problems with your business, feel free to go over to my Facebook group, The Revenue Clinic. Um, it's a free group for entrepreneurs where we talk about different ways to cure your profit ailments. Uh, we have marketing advice, legal advice, uh, social media strategies, things like that. Anything that you're looking for to help you take your business to the next level, we have in that group. You can visit uh, via this link or just search The Revenue Clinic. So thank you all for tuning in. 
I am logging off and I'm going to go get some champagne and Popeyes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in. We're here every Thursday at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time. We look forward to seeing you all next week. Have a good one. Bye.